than that, today we are starting our second week in a new series that we're doing on prayer. Prayer is a direct conversation. It's direct communion with God the Father. Prayer can be vocal. Prayer can be silent. Prayer can be spontaneous. It can be planned. It can be individual. Or it can be corporate. Hebrews 4.16, the Bible tells us to therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Bible tells us that we can come to the throne of grace. We can come to the Heavenly Father. It says to come boldly to him, and that at that throne of grace, we're able to obtain mercy. We can obtain grace. And the way that we get to that throne of grace, the way that we have access to God is through prayer. Thomas Watson, a Puritan preacher, said that prayer delights God's ear and melts his heart and opens his hand. God cannot deny a praying soul. I believe everybody in here knows that prayer is one of the most powerful tools that we possess as Christians. Once again, it's direct communion, direct access to the creator of the heavens and the earth. At the same time, while we recognize the power of prayer and the importance of prayer, it's often also one of the first things that we neglect as Christians. I've heard it said that the devil can't stop God from answering your prayers, so he'll do all that he can to stop you from praying. So this week, we are going to be finishing a study on the pattern of prayer. In Luke chapter 11, we see a, a um, it's the... Lord's Prayer, it's the, second, second, uh, it's the second time we see the Lord's Prayer in Scripture. Um, Matthew chapter 6 is the first time. And so last week we looked at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, and we see the pattern that Jesus sets forth for prayer. Well, actually, in the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verse 13. And we're going to look at the pattern of prayer. We're going to look at persistence in prayer. And then we're going to look at the promise of prayer. So like I said, today we're finishing the pattern of prayer. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. So as we saw last week, Jesus begins by telling them that when you come to the Father in prayer, the first thing that you do is praise him for who he is. Acknowledge God for who he is. He starts the prayer by saying, our Father in heaven. You enter the throne of grace with praise. You put God in his rightful place. You, you thank him for his mercy. Thank him for his grace. Thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his salvation. Thank him that he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and always present. And then we saw last week that the ultimate priority of our prayers is that God is glorified. And what we looked at is how God can be glorified globally through the coming of his kingdom. So when we begin to pray, we pray that God's name is hallowed. So what we said, the hollow God's name means to cherish his name, to revere his name, to love his name, basically to put God um, in, the, in the rightful place on the throne of our hearts. We then glorify God through prayer by praying for his coming kingdom. We pray that people would come to saving knowledge of who he is. And then last, the last thing we saw last week was that we pray that God's will be done on earth the same way that it is done in heaven. As we look at Luke chapter 11 and we look at the Lord's prayer or better, better tag, the model prayer that is set for us. The thing that I think we notice is that if we pray this prayer honestly, this is a prayer that is bathed in humility. In this prayer, Jesus reprioritizes 
what our prayers should look like. He shows us that our prayers are not just about ourselves. If you look in Luke chapter 11, you can see that the, the, the verbiage and the language which Jesus uses shows humility by, by giving us a communal family aspect. We're, it's our Father. We're praying for our daily bread. We're praying for forgiveness for our sins. So prayer is not just about us. Jesus is reminding us that, that, that we need to be worried about the needs and the concerns of our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And then we see that in the model prayer that if we put God's concerns first, that then we can come to him for our own needs and concerns. So when we pray, the pattern that Jesus sets is first the kingdom, then us. Understand that God is concerned about your needs and your wants. As a matter of fact, Matthew 6, 8 tells us that God knows what you need before you even ask for it. And I know that some people in here might be saying, well, if God already knows what I need, why do I need to go to him in prayer? We pray because prayer is the God-appointed way to have these needs met. So this week, we're going to look at verses 3 through 4 of Luke chapter 11. And I want us just to continue to see the pattern and the principles that Jesus sets forth in praying for our personal needs. As we, as we look at, chat, at verses 3 through 4, we see that all of our needs may be included in these three requests, these three petitions that we are to ask before God. We see material and physical provision. We see moral and spiritual perfection. And then the last thing we will see is divine protection and direction. Hopefully nobody came here this morning hoping that they would hear some type of new biblical truth or some theological treatise that is going to just knock your socks off because if you did come for that, I'm sorry to disappoint. This morning is going to be just an extremely practical look at the pattern of prayer that Jesus has for us. This morning, just like we did last week, I just want to look at what are we praying for and what does that mean for us? If you will, let's, let's start with prayer real quick, and then we'll talk about the pattern of prayer that Jesus sets. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given us. I thank you um, for the opportunity just to proclaim your word, Lord. I pray for each and every person in here, Lord, that the word would convict hearts, it would convict minds, that the word would transform. Lord, I pray that as we study prayer, that we would come to a greater understanding of its importance, that we would see the priorities of our prayers. I pray, Lord, that you would give me clarity of thought, decision of speech, Lord. I pray, Lord, that, that there would be an overflow from the study that was done this week, that I would be able to share with your people, Lord, uh, just life-changing truths about prayer, Lord. We love you. We thank you for all that you do. In Christ's name, amen. So if you would, look with me at the last three petitions as we see how to pray for personal needs in a Christ-honoring God-like manner. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. I'm just going to read through the whole entire passage. In verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So as we look at verse 3 at the back half of the, the model prayer that Jesus sets forth, we're looking at how do we pray for our personal needs. The very first thing that Jesus teaches us to pray for is daily provision. We are to pray to God for daily provision. Jesus' prayer for daily bread stands for, it's a representative of all that we could ever need, physical and material. Whether that's food on our plates, whether that's clothes on our backs, whether that's a, food, a roof over our house, it's strength for the day, maybe it's, it's healing for our bodies, whatever physical and material needs that we need, Jesus tells us to go to the Father and pray for that day by day. As we look at this, it's an admission that we are human and that we need provision from God to survive. This request acknowledges God as the provider of all that we need to sustain us in life. After the Korean War ended, South Korea was left with a large amount of, of orphan, of orphan children. And it's said that, that as these children were in these orphanages, even though that they were had three meals a day, that when they went to bed, they were restless and anxious every single night. And so one of the relief workers went to them, went to the children, and just trying to find out what exactly are you guys worried about. And as he talked to the children, he learned that the children had anxiety about whether or not their needs would be met for the next day, about whether or not they would be fed the next day. Even though they had been fed every day up until then, they were worried about tomorrow. So it said that in order to help resolve this problem, the relief workers started to give the children a piece of bread to put in their hand as they went to bed. The bread wasn't meant to be eaten, but rather it was simply meant to be held by the children as they slept. It was meant kind of as a security blanket for the children, reminding them that there would be provision for their daily needs. And sure enough, as these children held this bread in their hand, they were able to sleep better at night knowing that tomorrow was going to be okay. Listen, likewise, we take comfort in knowing that Christ, that God offers to us daily bread for every single one of our needs. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. We don't have to have, we don't have to have to um, have to fret whether or not our needs are going to be met. But Jesus says to pray for day by day bread. Listen, the very first personal prayer that we are taught to pray is one that honestly we naturally do, right? For most people, when you go to God in prayer, what are you asking for? When you go to God in prayer, most naturally, we're asking God, take care of my needs. God, make sure that I'm fed. God, make sure that I'm clothed. God, make sure that, that my physical, material needs are met. And so while we don't need to be taught to pray for material and physical needs, I think that the principle that we can glean from this direction that Jesus gives is a reminder to pray out of need and not out of greed. As you digest this request, as you really look at this prayer for daily bread, the modest posture of it just leaps off the page, especially in the society that we live in today. We live in a society of abundance. We live in a society 
of excess, a society that wants blessing, that wants prosperity, that wants wealth. Yet Jesus reminds us to take life one day at a time. Lord, give us day by day. Lord, give me for the day my needs that I need. This is not only a prayer for daily provision, but I honestly believe that it's a prayer to protect our hearts from the materialism and greed of this world. As we pray for daily bread, we glorify God. Remember last week we talked about our, the ultimate priority of our prayers is to glorify God. So as we pray for daily bread, we glorify God by acknowledging that he is the only one who can provide and care for us. We acknowledge that everything in the world belongs to the Lord. Isn't that what Psalms 24.1 tells us? Psalms 24.1, the Bible says, the earth is the Lord in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. In Philippians 4.19, Paul says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Listen, we need the Lord to sustain us daily. As we go back to the Old Testament and you look at the book of Exodus, you'll see a story about how as the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, the Lord sent manna from heaven down to them daily to make sure that they were taken care of. The Israelites were always just one day away from starvation, yet for four decades they never went hungry. But the interesting part about the story of, of, of the manna from heaven and, and God sustaining the children of Israel, of, of Israel is that as the manna fell to the earth, if you look at Exodus 16, you'll see that as the manna fell to the earth, if they were to keep any extra manna for themselves to try to stockpile it for the next day, that that manna would spoil, that manna would go bad. It wouldn't be, by, by the second day, it would be no good to them. It was Jesus or, or God was, was showing the Israelites, the same thing I believe he's showing us in this text, that we need daily dependence on him. Because if God was to give us the greeds of our heart, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we soon would lose sight of him. Instead, we just need to know that he is going to provide day after day after day after day. Listen, Christ is imitated and God is honored when we pray out of need and not out of greed. The second thing we see in verse four says, forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. We see that we are to pray to God for daily pardon. So first, as we bring our personal needs to God, we pray for daily provision. Lord, take care of my needs. Now we see that we daily come to God for pardon. In verse 3, we acknowledge our dependency on God for our physical needs. Now as we come into verse 4, we are acknowledging our dependency on God for the things that are spiritual. Our next personal request to be made before God is for spiritual and moral perfection. Spiritual perfection is found only in the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is a key element in communicating with a holy, perfect God. Listen, because God is totally separated from sin, because God is holy, because God is perfect, there is a cleansing that must take place within us if we're going to have relational contact 
with him. And he has made that possible through forgiveness. While as believers, our relationship with God as father and child can never change. That relationship will always be there. We do see throughout scripture that our relationship and, and our fellowship with God can be affected by the sin in our lives. As you look through the Bible, you come to the book of 1 John. 1 John is all about fellowship with God. It's about fellowship with God and fellowship with others. And as you look through the book of 1 John, the thing that is clear throughout it is that you cannot have dynamic fellowship with God when you are not dealing seriously with your sin. Listen, as the Holy Spirit reveals sin in our lives, we address it. We obey every impulse of the Spirit of God. If the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, 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 you go to whatever he's dealing with in your heart. You ask for forgiveness. You confess. You repent. John Owen, a Puritan, he said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Listen, we have a daily need for forgiveness of sins. I mean, I don't know about y'all. I know I, I have probably an hourly need, if not less, for forgiveness of sins all day long. I'm going against what God may have for my life all day long. I'm, I mean, we're, we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a fleshly body. We're going to struggle with sin. And because of that, we need to daily ask for forgiveness. Listen, you don't deal with last week's sins today. Jesus tells us to deal with today's sins today. We need daily pardon. Don't be a Christian who carries around the weight of your sin that Christ has already died for. I know that sometimes it's hard to ask for forgiveness. I've been here myself because you're like, I've messed up so many times. Why would you forgive me, Lord? Lord, I don't deserve your forgiveness. Lord, I don't, I don't even want to ask because I don't, I don't feel worthy of it. And the thing is, if that is the posture that you have, you are right. We do not deserve forgiveness. We do not deserve to be able to come back into a right relationship with God. But the good thing is that even though we don't deserve it, the Bible tells us that Christ's mercies are new every single morning. Every morning you wake up, God has new mercies. He has new grace for whatever sin you committed the past days. Listen, guilt, misery, and hopelessness are not reasons to run from Jesus. It's reason to run towards him. I read a story about a, about a, a child, a young boy. And it said that this young boy accidentally killed one of his family chickens. And so when he killed this family chicken, he didn't think anybody saw him, and he went and buried it. As he buried it, his little sister came up to him. So I saw what you did, and if you don't do the dishes for me, I'm telling mom, all right? For those of us that have siblings, we can relate to that. So this little boy started doing the dishes. He was doing the dishes for a couple of weeks until one day when it was time to do the dishes, he looked at his sister and he said, you do them. And his little sister looks at him and puts her hands on her hips and says, I'm telling mom. And the little boy looks at his sister and he says, I already told her, and she forgave me. I'm free now. You know, while that's a funny, silly story, there's 
truth in that, 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 that sin keeps us in bondage. Just like that little sister kept that brother in bondage. Sin will keep us in bondage, but Jesus Christ wants to free us from that bondage. Just like that little boy went to his mom and told his mom what he did wrong and she forgave him. There is forgiveness, there's grace on the other side of whatever you have done wrong. Heard it said that prayer will make a man cease from sin. Or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. Can I tell you that God's grace for your life did not run out at the moment of your salvation. The same grace that was offered to you that saved you from the penalty of your sin is continually offered to you day by day to save you and forgive you from the power and the presence of your sin. Listen, if, if all of your sins were written on a chalkboard, God is standing there with a racer in hand waiting for you to confess, waiting for you to repent, so that he can wipe the slate clean. The Bible says that our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. Well, can I tell you that the east and the west never end? 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This doesn't matter what you've done. If you confess your sins, he is faithful. He is just to forgive you, but not only forgive you, but to cleanse you, to restore you, to renew you. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. We are in need of daily pardon. Not only do we need that pardon because we need daily forgiveness, but this verse also tells us that we should be daily forgiving. As I said, as you look through the book of 1 John, you see that it's all about fellowship with God. But it also talks about fellowship with brothers, fellowship with believers around you. And as you look through the book of 1 John, it clearly lays out that if you are not in right fellowship, if there is bitter or hatred in your heart for a brother or sister in Christ, that you cannot be in fellowship with God. As you look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus actually extends upon this, this principle. In Matthew 6, 14 through 15, Jesus himself says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus was not teaching us that we earn forgiveness by forgiving other people. That would be opposed to a free gift of grace. So we don't earn forgiveness by forgiving other people. But what Jesus is telling us is that you, if you have truly experienced God's forgiveness, then we will have the readiness to forgive others. As God extends mercy to us, we are called to extend mercy to others. Ephesians 4.13 says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as, Christ, or even as God in Christ 
forgave you. You know, the idea of forgiveness is radical to our society. We just, our Wednesday night Bible study, we were just talking about this last week, especially forgiveness towards others who don't deserve it. I remember a couple years ago, there was a story in the news about a off-duty cop who went into the wrong home, thought it was her home, and shot and killed the man whose home it was. And, it made, and what made the news, obviously the whole story made the news, but what made the news was at this off-duty cop's um, trial, the brother of the man that she killed came up to her, gave her a hug, and said, I forgive you. And he went on to tell uh, that, that their family were Christians. Their family understood what forgiveness was. So they were able to extend it to others. But it was shocking news to a nation that didn't understand forgiveness. And I pray that, that the same thing can happen within us, that people can look at us and they can see the forgiving heart and attitude that we have for others. And they can say, how are they able to forgive him? And then all that we got to do is say, listen, you don't know how much Jesus forgave me. Receiving God's forgiveness motivates forgiveness toward others. Listen, don't let your sin and don't let your refusal to forgive others block your communication with God. Pray for daily pardon. Pray that God would daily restore you. He would daily renew you, that he would forgive you. He's waiting. He's waiting with that eraser. He wants you to call out. He wants you to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Because the truth is we fail each and every day. And we're going to fail each and every day until we make it to glory. But on the other side of that failure is grace. So we've got to grab a hold of it and extend it to others. Then the last petition that we see for our personal needs is a, is a petition, it's a plea to God to pray for daily protection. So first we see that we pray to God for daily provision, that God would take care of our needs. We pray to God for daily pardon, that God would restore, renew, forgive us. And then we pray for daily protection. Look at the end of verse four. The end of verse four says, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. If the preceding request for daily pardon is the curative spiritual medicine that heals us from the sickness of sin, then this request is the preventative medicine. Listen, Jesus reminds us that there is forgiveness for guilt that we've already earned. And there is deliverance from temptation and evil that can bring future guilt. And the truth is we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a dark and dreary and evil world where Satan rules. The Bible says that he is the prince of the air. Satan has authority, he has power that's granted to him by God to rule and to cause havoc on this world. Satan is the thief who comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Peter tells us that Satan is a roaring lion who prowls around looking for someone to devour, prowls around looking for believers 
to devour. So in this prayer, I am admitting my proclivity or, or my tendency, my, my, my natural lean to sin. And I'm crying out to God for protection from the attacks and plots of the devil. Lead us not, in tempta- lead us not into temptation does not mean that God tempts us. If you look at the book of James, James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So we're not saying that God is the one that leads us us into temptation, but rather by praying, lead us not into temptation. We are asking God to guide us. We're asking God for direction. We're saying, God, please make it so that I do not get out of your will and get myself involved in a situation of temptation. I am admitting to God that my flesh is weak, that my flesh is prone to sin, and I'm pleading with God to lead me away from the things that ensnare me. I'm, leading, I'm pleading with God to lead me away from the things that might trap me, to lead me away from the things that I know will cause me to stumble, the things that will cause me to sin, whatever that may be for you. Maybe it's certain people. You're praying, God, please don't let me come across these certain people. Maybe there's, there's, there's things on your phone or your computer. You want to say, Lord, please don't bring me across these websites. Whatever it is you're praying, you know what you struggle with. And so our prayer is, God, lead me not into those temptations. Give me direction, Lord. Matthew 26, 41 says, watch and pray. Pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul tells us this. We all can sympathize with this. We don't want to do wrong. We don't want to go against God. We don't want to say it, hopefully especially those of us that have been bought with a price. But even though our spirit is willing, our flesh is weak. We live in a sin-cursed world. It's said that if you are not tempted, it's because you have no hope. If you are not tempted, it's because you are used to sinning. The man who does not fight sin at the stage of temptation sins in his body, and the man who sins in his body has no trouble from temptation. Tony Evans said it this way. He said, if you never run into the devil, if there's never temptation in your life, if, if it seems like, like, like the devil's never trying to capture you, he's never trying to, to, to ruin your life, Maybe it's because you're walking step by step with him. And leading us away from temptation, our desire is that we will be delivered from evil. Psalms 141.4 says, Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Listen, so as we pray for daily protection. As we de- pray for daily direction also, direction away from evil and then protection from that evil, we are acknowledging the presence of sin around us and recognizing its destructive power. It is only the Lord who can protect us from evil. So there's nothing that you can do. You can try to put as many 
blocks on your phone. You can try to avoid certain places, certain people as much as you want. But at the end of the day, the Lord is the only one that is able to lead you not into temptation, to protect you from the evil one. And prayer is your greatest weapon against evil. In Ephesians 6, Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God to withstand evil. He gives us a whole list. He says that, 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 that we fight against, not against flesh and blood, but against principality. He talks about the evil in this world. And he gives us a whole entire um, recipe of how to protect ourselves against the evil in this world. And, and with that whole armor of God, he tells us to put on the blessed breastplate of righteousness. He tells us to, to put on the helmet of salvation, the sword of truth. And then as he ends the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 18, Paul ends by saying, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. That is your greatest weapon. You put on this armor, but then you end it by prayer. You want to be protected from evil. You want to be protected from Satan. You want divine direction. You want divine protection in your life. Ask of it to God in prayer. Charles Spurgeon said to take God into your counsel. You know, so often we try to get counsel from therapists. We try to get counsel from counselors, from friends, from family, and we look everywhere else except for up. Charles Spurgeon said, take God into your counsel. Heaven overlooks hell. God at any time can tell you what plots are hatching there against you. These petitions that we have and this, this, this prayer that Jesus teaches us, the petition that, that, that God would bring daily provision, that God would bring daily pardon, and that God would bring daily protection are bathed in humility. I talked about that at the beginning. There's a, there's a bathing of humility throughout this whole entire prayer because when we pray that to God, what we are saying is that we're taking the control out of our own hands. We're humbly bowing, knowing that we are powerless without him, knowing that I cannot daily provide, knowing that there's no forgiveness except through him, and knowing that this world will ensnare and entrap and destroy me if it is not for his protection. So we live in a sin-cursed world. I've said that about 50 times now, so hopefully we understand that. We live in a sin-cursed world where Satan has authority and power, so recognize your need for divine protection against the attacks of the devil. Listen, the model prayer is a template that reprioritizes our, our request to God. The model prayer is not a prayer, the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer. It's not just a prayer that we should repeat just from memory, but it's a prayer that Jesus offers to us to use as a framework upon which we can build a prayer life that is offered to God, that is heard and answered by him, and that glorifies his name. As we pray these six petitions that we went over the last two weeks, understand that not only is God glorified when we pray for the coming of his kingdom, God is also glorified when he meets our personal needs. Listen, God is glorified by daily provision because with daily provision, we don't got to die. God is glorified by daily pardon because we don't have to despair. And God is glorified by daily protection because we are not led 
to destruction. If we put God's concerns first, then we can bring our own. H.B. Charles says that the key to prayer is a heart of dependence. Listen, bathe your prayers in humility, recognizing that it is God alone who has the power to answer any of them. Before we end, I just want to go back a little bit real quick to the first petition. In the first petition, we talked about the need for daily bread. And I think that it would be wrong of me to finish without telling you that what you need more than daily bread is the bread of life. The bread that is Jesus Christ himself. He tells in John, 3, John 6, 635, I am the bread of life. Listen, while without bread there is physical death, without Christ there is eternal death. Jesus is telling us that he is essential for life in the same way that bread is essential for life. Listen, we've talked about the sin and evil in this world. And because of that sin and evil, man is separated from God and destined for hell. But Jesus Christ came to live, to die, as we'll celebrate in a few weeks, to rise again from the grave in order to make a way for us to come back into communion, make a way for us to come back into a right relationship with God. Listen, you need more than daily bread, the bread that Jesus offers. And if that's if you're here today and you don't know about that bread, or if you're here today and maybe you have some questions and you say, you know, I, I've struggled in my life. I know that, that I'm messed up and I want the daily bread that, that will always satisfy, the daily bread that will never leave me hungry. If that's you, I want you to know that Jesus offers forgiveness. He offers acceptance. He embraces you. He loves you. And he wants you to come into that relationship with him. Listen, so for those of us that know of the bread of life, for those of us that have tasted and seen of the goodness of God, for those of us that have been redeemed, that have been bought with a price, for those of us that have secured our home in heaven, my prayer is that as we pray, God would be glorified. The pattern of meaningful prayer is to begin by majoring on the person and nature of God and his kingdom interest, and then coming to personal requests and needs only 